What's up, guys? We are into day two of our new challenge with opportunities to win free stuff from DNVR, from free shirts all the way up to game tickets or a jersey of your choice. And this is through WGT World Golf Tour. Here's how you do it. You go to World Golf Tour and download it. It's one of the best golf apps out there on the market. You must download it from freewgt.com to start. You cannot enter unless you download it from freewgt.com. Once you have it downloaded, go ahead and play through the tutorial, get your bearings, get all set, and then head over to the closest to the whole challenge. That's what we're going to use to kind of run the competition. We have picked the very first course that comes up, Wolf Creek, and the very first hole in that challenge. I believe it's hole 11 officially, but it's just challenge number one. You just go in there and try and hit that ball as close to the hole as you possibly can. Whoever gets closest to the hole will win the week and get a free shirt from DNVR, which is pretty dope. The way you enter is you go ahead and hit the ball. Once it brings up your score on how close you got, go ahead and take a screenshot and send it in to info at the DNVR.com. That's info, I-N-F-F-O, at the DNVR.com. And that's not all. Just by entering in, you're also going to get a bit of a raffle ticket as well. For every week you play and send in your screenshot, you'll then be entered to win either those game tickets or a jersey of your choice if you're out of state. The more raffles you've got, obviously, the better chance you have to win. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to freewgt.com, download the game, go to the closest to the hole challenge and go into that Wolf Creek and play that very first hole and get as close as you can screenshot it send it in and you'll be all set to go aj and i have both played around with it i still haven't been able to beat his four and a half feet from the hole that's kind of the benchmark that i've seen so far so try to get inside of that if you're going for the win and you know what i think i might have to get back in there today and and take on that score see if i can't beat it myself but you guys can come in and play and win some free stuff so let's get into the show here and Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon, Cole J.T. Comfer, 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog, collective hugs, 29 and 92. See me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or check out online through mygreensolution.com. You can pick up your local TGS Express Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes and you can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. We are here talking about abs hockey on a day that I wasn't expecting a whole lot of news to come through. And then every player on the avalanche decided it was the day to break. Firstly, starting off. What a day. Yeah. I mean. So weird. We wake up. Oh, Gabe Landeskog randomly has a lower body injury. We haven't haven't played since uh, Saturday. But somehow the Avalanche have a major injury that they've sustained. And it was a long-term injury. Right, out indefinitely. It's still not exactly clear what happened or yeah. how exactly he's hurt, but it sounds pretty serious. And he's more than week to week. Bender says yeah. he's more than week to week. And, like, look, we all have social media. Gabe Landeskog is seen on social media at the the team's Halloween party on Sunday night, jumping around and having a good old time. So over the last 48 hours or less, something has gone horribly wrong. Right. What happened? I what suspect the hell that, happened? That's a mystery we may never find out the answer to, unfortunately. What the hell happened? <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't know. 
I'm I'm baffled uh, as to how it went. But then Colin Wilson gets hurt at practice. Right. To make matters worse, laying the Scog out is a problem. We'll dive into that. But they would have still had enough forwards on the team to run a 12-6 lineup as it was by slotting in Kamenev. And then Colin Wilson gets hurt. And not exactly clear how serious that one is either, but that one we know came on the ice at least. Right. Well, and and that one uh, immediately ruled out for tomorrow. How many times have we heard Jared Bednar? I haven't talked to the trainer. Colin Wilson tweaks something, leaves practice, and immediately is ruled out for tomorrow and potentially the next game. And not knowing the timeline on him, um, but immediately ruled out for tomorrow. No question about it. It just seems to come in droves, doesn't it? Well, and first of all, it seems to always come for Colin Wilson, which that's when, true. when they re-signed him, we talked about. <clears throat> and now, now that it, it once again has come for him, you know, the 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 death plague, the the injury bug, I guess. Now they're now okay, well, how do you how do you handle it? Because I mean Colin Wilson has been very forgettable. But then you look at his underlying numbers and it's very positive. If you're going to be forgettable, don't hurt your team. And that's very much been the case. Yeah. He's slotted into that third line that, you know, we've kind of talked about it as the grab bag, but it's done its role quite exceptionally for most of the games. It's, it's, Oh, it's a line that has kind of oscillated between third and fourth line. Right. Depending on which line is doing what on any given day. And, you know, you have a very talented fourth line. Sometimes they're going to get more minutes. And we've talked about it. They're going to get more minutes when you're winning. When you're trying to come from behind, that fourth line won't typically play as much. They played quite a bit in Anaheim because they were the only line worth a damn. But that, I mean, this that is not going to be a normal night, a normal situation. And now that now you're talking, you're going from having one of the league's more dangerous fourth lines. That is now your de facto third line because your fourth line is now awkward spare parts. You're now, you're now talking. I mean, they had Ryan Graves on the fourth line because when Wilson left, they didn't have enough forwards to finish it out. Exactly. They're down to 11 forwards on the roster. Right. And now you're, now you're talking about Nachushkin, Nachushkin and Kamenev and who knows as, kind of your leftover guys there. Yeah. We I do want to get into that. We'll talk about the yeah. the call up potential and things like that, but I do want to work top down a little bit first. McKinnon we've talked about him needing to be the man. Uh he's now without Landeskog and Rantanen, so he doesn't really have a choice anymore. And it'll be interesting to see who ends up getting those top line minutes. They've liked to keep Kadri with Donskoy and Burkowski. They obviously just cannot really afford to do that anymore. But it's going to be a bit of a process figuring out who's going to fit with McKinnon, at least to start. This is no no more excuses, no more slow start, no more, well, I found a way to a goal tonight. It's time. Nathan McKinnon's got to take over. Yep. He's got to he's got to knock off the Clark Kent thing. Go into the phone booth. Spin yeah. around a couple of times. Take his glasses off and magically become Superman. It's it's just time for that. The Avs certainly need him to. If there's any time, it's now. Yeah, I I mean like there's never a bad time for him to do that, but now your team, I'm not going to say they're on life support because they've the the hot start that they had gives them cushion. You can go 500 during this stretch, you know. And we do think that Rantanen is likely going to come back sooner than later. If that happens in, you know, if they if they end up with two weeks without those guys, look, we saw at the end of last year. Do you remember? They we we seem to have forgotten this. They made their playoff run last year without these two guys. Rantanen and Landeskog were both hurt down the stretch last year, and it was Tyson Berry who stepped up and turned into the points monster. 
that that kind of helped them overcome that loss. They've been able to, in short stretches, overcome these these injuries to these guys when they've had them. It's losing McKinnon that they haven't been able to do. They've been able to overcome a Rantanen injury. They've been able to overcome the Landeskog injury for however short a time they've happened in the past two years, but they've happened. And at the end of last season, when they were in must-win-every-game mode, they lost both of them, and they made the playoffs. This is this is not great. The Avs are a worse team today, but they are a much better team than the one that made the postseason at the end of last year. Yeah. yeah. I would go a lot further than saying it's not great. <laughs> this is very bad. I mean, but. it's it's not – I mean, it's – we don't – we won't know the extent of the bad until we see the record that they produce without them. We just don't know that. But they have more opportunity to survive this than at any point in the last several years, since the 2013-14 forward core. Yeah, exactly. This is why you build the depth. You yep. have it for these situations because they are bound to happen – it's come pretty early in the season, and you know what? Given the hot start, as you mentioned, they can afford to manage it a bit if they can get it out of the way early. Of course, you never know. It could just pile up and pile up. But for right now, what we do know, just got to manage this part of the season. Well, and they have – I was actually doing this last night. I was going through this because, of of course, right? This this <laughs> is This is – always there's always something that I'm doing at night that turns into a topic on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the abs have soft spots in their schedule coming up in the next few months where they have five game homestands, I believe in both January and February. And so if you even just go, you take the hot start eight, two and one and you go 500 until you get to that point, Landis God comes back, ranting in his back, and then you have a home heavy schedule for, for in January and from January on, you're in very good position. That is that is striking distance of home ice in in the playoffs. Once if, and then that's it, like just 500 to January. Now, if Landeskog is is out longer than that, you know, then you know who who knows. Like we're we'll see, but they will have a schedule advantage coming up in the second half of the season. So that if they if they if the if the boat stays afloat right now, they will have an opportunity to really do some damage in the second half of the season. And that's yeah. you know you've they've crushed the first month of the season. They've got adversity for two months, and then after that, even if they're still you know, injured, whatever, whatever, you have a home-heavy schedule for two straight months where you're going to have a lot of opportunities to rack up points and put yourself into a, into a position to compete for home ice in, in March. And that's all you want to do. That's what your regular season is about. You want to be competing for home ice come March. And the Avs are still in that position – they can weather the storm, and then they've got the they've got a, a schedule advantage coming up for them, and that is, I tell you, man. I mean this it, this is bad news today. This is bad news, but this is also why you build a deeper roster. You know, you you want to be able to hey, you build a deeper roster so that you you can roll lines and smoke teams and out talent them. But when these things come up, this is how you stay competitive. This is how you stay afloat. I think they're in good position to do it. And to be honest with you, I'm excited to see what some of these kids can do with increased opportunities. As am I. And you know what? They've shown they're perfectly capable of winning games when the top line, even when they were healthy, were just okay through a lot of the start of this season. So if you can keep some guys rolling like a Burakovsky, like a Kadri, Kadri, you can win games. You could potentially still stay above 500. I don't want to get into that because I'm not that convinced that they'll be able to do it, but certainly 500 is attainable. But if you're going to be pouring one out for Landis Gog and Colin Wilson, 
make it a Breckenridge Brew, the official beer of DNVR. Started here in Colorado in 1990 in Breckenridge, of course. And they have a very wide selection of beers, any number of them. Today, I'm telling you about the Hop Peak IPA. Generally not a big IPA fan myself, but I actually don't mind this one. I'm not going to call it my favorite beer because it's not, but the fact that I can even drink it makes it a good IPA in my eyes. If you are a fan of IPAs, though, I fully expect you will enjoy this one quite a bit. It is known as a citra, the citra dry hops that they use. I'm not a super beer snob. I don't exactly know what that means, but you can kind of taste that citrus flavor within the beer. And honestly, I say this every time, but you cannot go wrong with Breckenridge Brewery. Every beer they make is just so finely crafted that they really do a great job with all of them. So keep an eye out for the Hop Peak IPA at your local Davidson's or any other local liquor store for that matter. And also keep an eye on our Breckenridge event calendar. I do believe we just set up our next watch party event that's going to be on November 5th. So we will be out there at is it at Blake Street? I forget where it is. Uh, we're over by DU at the Pioneer. Oh, that's right. This is the DU one. Yeah, we're going to the Pioneer, and we'll be watching the game against the Dallas Stars. So come out there, have a good time, and drink a few Breck brews with us. Second segment of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. We're talking about the Avs falling apart to injury, and we now have the official news that the Avs have called up <clears throat> Megna to be the 12th forward for the team. AJ, I'll let you take this one first. I understand the call up here, but personally, not the player I wanted to see called up. Pretty predictable. He was uh, he was one of the last cuts in preseason. Guy that showed really well. Uh, veteran guy that's got 100 NHL games played. All of the coach catnip that we talk about all the time with NHL coaches. Uh, very predictable. Yes, I, I agree. Not at all surprised to see his name show up. As you said, one of the last cuts in camp, obviously impressed, went down to the Eagles and has been one of the players that is actually producing points on a team that is really struggling to do so. Fine. I understand that side of the call up. What I don't understand is failing to give opportunities to legitimate prospects within your organization and to expand on that. This is a situation with the Colorado Eagles that the Avs have talked up a lot about it being the hockey highway. You can go up I-25 and just an hour up the road. So if you have a prospect that you want to play big minutes in the AHL, you can do that and also have him play a one-off game tomorrow night, Wednesday. They can play six to ten minutes in the NHL, and you can send them back to the Eagles after that. And we've consistently seen them fail to take advantage of that. Is this the right time for that argument? Is it? And I ask, and I ask this solely because all of the guys that we would want to see called up in this situation when we're talking prospects have played poorly. Yes and no. I don't think they've played as poorly as, as some people think, but certainly... I would, I would agree with that. The people who are making everything of, well, they have no points in seven games. None of these guys have done any scoring. I think too much is being made of that, but it's also irrefutable. And we always talk about, you know, numbers don't lie, man. And we can say, oh, well, they've been, they've outplayed their production, but the production still isn't irrelevant. It's not. It does matter, but TJ Tynan has seven points. You could have called him up if you were solely focusing on the production as well. Sure, but you also don't do that. You don't just call up the highest scoring guy every single time without looking at it and saying, oh, well, okay, that's our guy. And, <laughs> you know, you make a decision. You factor all of that in. And when you do that, I think it's hard to say that that, that Megna isn't the obvious candidate there. Here's the thing. Again, I am fine on the surface with a Magna call up. I think mm -hmm. he's probably earned an opportunity. I think he will fill into that role of a minimal minutes type guy just fine and, and won't really hurt the team. 
my problem here is exactly what we were talking about in the first segment. The Avs are 8, 2, and 1. They are well ahead of where they need to be. They have an opportunity to just kind of stick at 500 until they get healthy again and be okay. This role is not a big role. It's not going to have a major impact on the Avs every single night. Why aren't you using that as an opportunity to further your knowledge of your own team, your own systems? Megna can fill in. Does he have any impact longer term than being a spot call-up? I don't see it. I'm sure that he's a good guy. I've talked to him once or twice, and he seems like a good guy. Very good hockey player. But he's 25 now, maybe even older than that. And his hockey career is what it's going to be. He's going to be a tweener. The Avs have chances to get someone like a Martin Kaut, an NHL opportunity here, to get someone like a Shane Bowers, a taste of the NHL. You could even go deeper than that and and take a player that actually has produced in a prospect in Nick Henry and get him a taste of the NHL. And instead of furthering and looking a bit towards the future of this organization, they pass that over. Jason Magda, 29, by the way. Oh, geez. I wasn't even close. Yeah. So that's very, very set as what he is as, as a hockey player then. Yep. Um, I think <clears throat> you know that I agree with you in theory. Yeah. But this was a tough situation where none of the guys that you wanted to stand out have stood out enough to justify that call up. And at some point in, in, in this is this is why development is so difficult, right? It's because this is an opportunity for the Avalanche. You know, every every you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have any witty, quippy saying for this. <laughs> but uh, this is an opportunity. This this is something that they can make the most of and and try to give a, a Martin Cow a look. And where you say, hey, you know, he hasn't been the best guy in the AHL. But so what? This is a guy that we know we want as part of our future. And we want to see what he looks like. We're going to put him on this fourth line that you're going to shelter no matter what. You're not going to play Vlad Kamenev, Val Nachushkin, and Jason Megna more than six minutes a night. It's going to be the same thing with Martin Kaut. You're going to play six minutes a night. That's that line is going to do. It's going to be last year's fourth line. It's it's just band aids on bullet holes right now. That's all that line really is. Is don't screw this up. And you can you can legitimately wonder, you know, how much are they going to get out of if, if they put Martin Kout there? How much damage is Jason Megna going to do? What's the underlying effect here? You know what? Okay, well Megna's now off the Eagles. Those minutes, that ice time, that has to go somewhere. How do they make the most of that? You know, all of this is opportunity for younger players everywhere uh, to everywhere in the organization to to show themselves, to to prove something. To be honest with you, the, the, the young guys with the Eagles at the start of the season just haven't done anything. There just has not been any meaningful anything in the first couple weeks of the season. And that's a very, very micro look at it. And I know that your point is a much more macro-focused look where you're saying, hey, big picture, this can be part of the development process. And the abs are focused on today, and they're focused on how do we stay afloat in the NHL until our big guns get back and can start to hard carry us and and get back. You know, we can get back to dominating teams and and rolling through the NHL like the buzz saw we were built to be. You know, there, there's competing ideals here. There is, but my question becomes, at what point does the opportunity come then? Because we've seen this organization clearly is not willing to give that prospect opportunity, even when perhaps they've earned it when it comes down to a must-win-now type situation in the NHL. Take A.J. Greer last year, for example. They would much rather stick with Sheldon Dries or even trying out players like Andrew Agazzino down the stretch when they needed to win games. 
and they finally have put themselves in a, a situation, an opportunity where it isn't, oh my God, we have to win every single game and ice the best lineup we can possibly think of making. Not going to get into the argument of what actually is the best lineup, but right. they clearly lean on veterans in those situations and they have a chance not to. And yet they've still made this choice again. And right. sure. And you, you, this is where the lack of trust from you and I with their development team and their development program comes into play. We're jaded enough that we've watched them fail to produce NHL players out of so many prospects. And part of that is opportunity. Part of that is not giving opportunity in situations exactly like this one. My only counterpoint, the only thing, the only counterpoint that I've got for you right now, man, is just that the young guys have played like garbage. (sighs) You're not entirely wrong. I do not believe that the young guys have earned much of anything except for arguably Nick Henry, but he was marked as significantly further from the NHL than some of these other guys. Right. When you're 10th on the pecking order, maybe he's moved himself up to sixth. Right. But the thing that I run into there is what is it going to take to earn an opportunity? We've seen these players are struggling to even get second line minutes in the AHL. And yes, you're right. Moving Megnob will get them opportunity on the second line, but when they're struggling to find that opportunity top to bottom, you have to account that in with their performances. Right. This is why so, this, this is why this is tough. Yeah, it, it is legitimately difficult. I I understand that. I don't envy the job of trying to run an entire organization's development. Not I would love get, to do it. Give me the I job. mean I I would love to do it, but but we make it sound so easy on the podcast, right? <laughs> right. The point, the point is that I think in this case, I think the abs were stuck in previous cases. They've made poor choices. And I don't believe that they're stuck, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like they, I think there's a great argument to be made that I, I feel like you're making as well as you can right now that call up one of these kids. You have, Widely agreed upon one of the better farm systems in the league. You have top prospects to pull from. You have guys that you believe are part of your NHL future who are right there for the taking, for calling up and putting in in the league. And yeah, it's going to be six minutes, but it's better than zero, right? And it's... (sighs) Well, I mean, look, here's the thing. They have a game tomorrow night. The Eagles are at home in Loveland right now. They go on the road this weekend to San Diego. But you can take this one game and give someone like Martin Kaut an opportunity. Even though he struggled, you give him one NHL game and be like, look, this is what it takes. This is how far away you are from the next level. And if he does great, blows expectations away, great. You can keep him. You have another Ryan Graves situation going on. If he does not play well, if it's bad fine send him an hour up the road back to the eagles and he can go out to san diego and then you can bring up megna as the fallback plan okay i you know you know it's for us there were people on twitter today who are asking me who would you call up aj i didn't have an answer yeah I've just been that unimpressed with a couple of Eagles games that I've caught this year. I just don't think the kids that I want to reward. I don't think they've been good enough. If it's, me, if it's me running the show, I would have called him Martin Cout, regardless. I would have called him up. I would have put him next to those guys. I would have sat him down and I said, okay, you're going to get six minutes. This is exactly what we want you to do. I need you to go out there on your first shift and I need you to smoke somebody, get yourself into it, and play like the 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 very, very solid young prospect that we know you are. And if you don't do that, we're going to send you back down and we will see you in a couple of weeks or months, depending. Yeah. And that's what that's how I would have handled tomorrow. That's what I would have done personally. Because Jason Magna is 29 years old and has 100 NHL games on his under his belt and has shown he's not very good. 
This is a guy that could not make it, could not stick on the Vancouver Canucks roster two years ago when they were atrocious. It was not a good lineup. He had he had eight points in almost 60 games, which, hey, that's, that's more production than the Avs got out of some of their cats last year, okay? But at the same time, it's not much. You know, Sheldon Drys had six points in 40 games. And that's kind of my point, is that we've seen this guy... And we know that he is not an NHL player. We know that he's not an NHL player. And you're putting him in an NHL lineup next to another guy who's not an NHL player in Val Nachushkin. And now you've just got this bloated bottom line where you're like, well, we have to put these guys out here because we've made these choices. It's, it's a little bit of an awkward situation. And I don't want to talk about other players getting hurt or or moving injuries around, Mm -hmm. but looking at the players that got hurt, it's two wingers. And if it was a three, three wingers, well, Well, three wingers, you're right. If you, if you throw in Ranton as well, it's three ring, three wingers. The Avs now are going to have six centers in the lineup. If you count Comfer as the sixth or fifth, whatever, Kim and whatever order you want to put them in. If a center had gone down, I think it becomes much, much easier to call up Shane Bowers. Oh my as, gosh, yes. As the fill-in guy. So it just didn't quite line up correctly for the Bowers call-up to happen. And that's unfortunate because that one is was the best of both worlds as, as far as a call-up is concerned. It's someone that clearly Jared Bednar already has a lot of trust in and a prospect that can help further the future of the organization. They clearly don't want to play him as a winger, so right. it just it, the situation is what it is that it just doesn't quite fit for that. Unfortunately, calling up Shane Bowers was kind of like trying to get Kamenev into the lineup in the first place, where right. it was going to require something like this taking place in order for it to happen. Uh, <clears throat> but it, you know, to get Bowers called up, it would have needed to be, you know, it it would have needed to be a ca- uh, a Kadri and a Comfer or Kadri and a Jost injury, something like that where you just need the extra guy at that spot now. You've run out of the numbers. You need the extra guy. That's, that's, you know, that's not... With Bowers, you're not going to call him up. And this is the other thing. You don't want to call up one of these guys and just have him sit around. So... Yeah, 100%. You're not having them in the press box. We agreed that on that. But we we disagree... Where I think we are disagreeing in this case is that this guy is that they're calling up today is playing. We know he's going to play. He's going to be in the lineup. And yep. if he's not, then they're going to a seven D lineup, which is just a different level of dumb. Yeah. Let's just not do that, please. Right. Which like I said on Twitter today, just please don't. <laughs> Even though <laughs> no, when they went to that lineup last year, they won like several games with they, a seven D lineup. Did play very, very well for a little bit with that. But the lineup, I don't think that the Avs, have a recipe for success with 70. I'll put it that way. It, well, and like you're going to what have Vlad Kamenev and, and Val Nachushkin on a fourth line with a rotating wing. Like it made sense when they went to 7D last year and McKinnon was your one and four C. And then you had two wings that were out there. It doesn't make any sense to just rotate, especially because you've lost wings as your injuries. Yeah. It doesn't make sense now. You know, the guys that you would have double shifted at wing, would have been Landis Cog and Rantanen. It yeah. doesn't. It would make no sense to go to a seven D lineup because what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to put you're going to put Kadri down there. Like, it's right. just, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. It gets really messy quick. But you know what? Whether it's Magna or someone else, this is still an opportunity, a chance to potentially earn a spot in the Avs lineup as at least a semi-regular. And to do that, if you succeed, you're going to have to be moving to Denver. That means you would be selling your home up in Loveland. So if you or your friends are thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip-top condition, go to houselift.com. They'll show you how to maximize your profit. If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. 
That's right. You won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything from the contractors to the design while managing all of the costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website or Facebook page, both at houseliftcolorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from fifteen to $60,000 more into their clients' proctors pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh yeah, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they'll sell your home without charging a listing commission. Third and final segment of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. Quick reminder, if you want to help us out, give us a chance to win a year's supply of Breck Brew. And you like the content of DNVR, whether it be the podcast and want to see a bit more, some of our premium, our top tier content, consider heading on over and signing up for an annual DNVR membership and using code Rudo or AJ or not on the pod today, but Evan code Raul, R-A-W-A-L, to sign up and help us out. Give us a little bit of account in the competition we're doing. The Nuggets guys are still crushing it. We're starting to creep up on them a little bit. We're catching up, but we still need more to have a chance in this thing. Obviously, the content is great, and hopefully you like it and want to give it a try. Okay. Abs. Their situation is very very odd right now because the lineup not only is going to have new faces it's going to look completely different they're going to have to reshuffle absolutely every single line around fairly significantly because not only have they lost two top line players they've lost a third line slash middle six guy in colin wilson and I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like in practice today. Kamenev was practicing on a third line in you had Jost at center, but then moved off of center. You have Comfort just bouncing all over the lineup like he normally does. As we said, we expect Megna to come in and, and just slot in immediately on the fourth line, at least next to Nachushkin. But outside of keeping Belmar and Calvert together, it could really be anything. Yeah. So good point. <laughs> no, honestly, man, this is going to be, this is going to be a lot of fluidity in the lineup. The next, uh, the next several weeks, maybe depending on the ranting and thing. Yeah. That's what do you the, do when he the back? X factor, right? It, it's very easy to drop ranting and back end onto that top line, assuming there's a, a certain level of health there, but then what do you do exactly? You you now have to move all the wings around again and and resort things out. Yeah, um, I I like Kadri with McKinnon personally. I do based on their power play. Absolutely. I just I like just putting your best with your best and sure. and saying. This is what we got. Yep. Try and beat it. Yeah. These are these are our guys. We're gonna roll. Instead of trying to get cute and being like, okay, well, McKinnon here and Kadri down here, and then Jost here, and then Belmar there, like, oh, our center depth is so good. And then, you know, Val Nachushkin is, you know, where exactly? Right. You know, where where, where is Jason Magna in that in that lineup? You know, it's it's a place you don't want them to be, is the answer. Pretty much. Um, so, you know, you just try and, and jam up your talent with your talent and go from there. Uh, this is more than anything else for for anybody else. I think the two biggest things here are Tyson Jost is your second line center. Got to give him 16 minutes a night and see what he does. Quit messing around with his 13 minutes a night, 12 minutes a night, which has been fine. I've had no complaints about that usage. In this case, it's got to jump. Vlad Kamenev. Finally back on the ice. Show us what you got, kid. You've got to be engaged from the first shift. If you're not, what are you doing here? You've missed two years with season-ending injuries. Your NHL career is on life support. You are hanging on by a thread just trying to prove that you belong in this league. If you have a problem with engagement, you don't belong. End of story. So he's got to he's got to find that inner fire and he's got to let it burn. 
Tyson Jost, let's see what this is. We've talked all about process. All right, now you're playing with Burakovsky. Go produce. Go produce. Flat out. You've got to produce. Usher reference? No. Okay. Not on purpose. God, no. (laughs) I think I agree with you in that the factors that are more important are your current depth stepping up into the bigger roles, right? Jost has to prove he's capable of being that top six center. Burakovsky needs to he needs to prove he can be consistent with that larger minute opportunity that the Avs haven't really needed to give them yet, but now they absolutely do. Yeah, they've got to do it, man. I mean, this is lots of potential, but now it has to be realized. I mean, it just has to. I mean, it's either that or the Avs start losing a lot of games. Right. I mean, you're gonna they're going to sink or swim based on how some of these kids handle these roles. Yeah, one hundred percent. It in these situations, there's always some unusual heroes as well. I think maybe not unusual, but players that haven't particularly stood out offensively. I think Sam Gerrard is the man who's going to have to step up and start filling in and providing some of that offense. He's been a very good defenseman. He's been one of the Avs' top minute defensemen, but the offensive point production hasn't quite been there just yet. He was the fourth guy on my list that I uh, wrote for the article that I wrote on the DNVR today. There you uh, go. About guys that need to step up. Um, I didn't actually include him on my list. I wrote three guys and then Philip Grubauer because I was like, goalies always have to step up, LOL. Um, I swear the rest of the piece is much more in-depth than that. But he was <laughs> the guy that I left just off the list because I'm starting to lose the faith, faith a little bit. Yeah. yeah, that the offense is ever going to come. Um, the way that the, I think he's exceptional uh, at breaking pucks out of his own zone and getting through the neutral zone. Uh, I think that something is missing in the offensive zone. He's there. There's just a high end process. that's not taking place. And we see it happening with Kale McCarr and to see that contrast happening right there. Um, uh, makes me, makes me, Curious, curious, makes me iffy. On where that ceiling uh, truly is. Yeah, on, on where the ceiling really is on offense. Because I still think, hey, 30, a 30-point 30 defenseman is very good. Uh, especially if one was giving you rock-solid defense. You love that. But we we thought that this might be a 50-point guy. Yeah... Boy, I, I don't see him as a 50-point guy. I don't anymore I, at all, man. I, I still I, have hope for 40, though. I don't know that I really do. Maybe in like a career year, but I still, I, I think 30 to 35 is really kind of where I see it capping out as as like an average season for him. You know, everybody's going to have one career year where you're like, what is that? Like the Matt Nieto when he had like, what, 14 goals a couple years ago where you're like, dude, no, it's never happening again. Um, you know, something like that, I think could happen, but I don't, I don't know about Gerard's consistent offense. I just, there's just seems to be something missing there. Yeah. Yes. And no, I, I do think he's been a bit unlucky at times because he was kind of suffering from the same thing. Makar was in the idea that he'll make these great passes and the, the puck just isn't going in the players that he's passing to aren't finishing. But at the same time, that was happening to Makar, and Makar still found his way to points. And Gerard really has not. And great players find their way to points. It's just what they do. So I'm still hopeful that there's something there, that a little bit more opportunity when it can't be leaned on Lannis Gog, leaned on Rantanen quite as much. Maybe there's something that Gerard can step into, but we'll have to see. Mm Mm-hmm. Certainly, 
the defense is is gonna be interesting because right now the points are so heavily leaned on Makar. Cole has five assists out of pure voodoo magic, but outside of that, EJ is not scoring much. Graves has three points, but two of them are empty net points, and the defense really is not scoring, so it would take a lot of pressure off of all of these guys if the defense did find a bit more. Yeah, the defense stepping up offensively would be huge, man. I mean, where's Eric Johnson? Right. He is completely faded, and and part of that is an adjustment of role for him, I I do believe, as McCarr and Sam Gerrard really, truly take over those more offensive duties. But I like this role. Long term, sure. I, I mean, I like the role that he's being asked to play. I think he's effective in it. But there's still, I I feel like there's still a a 30-point player there that is too, I don't want to say shy, but he might be a little too committed to it to to get to that kind of plateau again, to get, you know, I think he had 25 points last year and they were all even strength. And we talk about how so much of defenseman scoring relies on special teams, relies on being on a power play to create a lot of that. But with EJ, man, it's, you know, when he shoots pucks, it's just, well, I've got the puck, so I'm going to shoot it, you know? And I like the attitude. I like that it's he keeps it simple and he doesn't get overly cute with it. But flying down the wing and then throwing a puck from the goal line at the goalie's feet and hoping for something magical to happen – it's not productive but offense. It only works against Winnipeg. It's it's not. <laughs> oh, poor Winnipeg. It's it's not productive, man. It's so much of his offensive process right now has just been very bland and not something that is going to generate anything meaningful. I'm. I, I think there's more there. I think there's more there from both EJ and and Gerard. Uh. I just, boy, they could really, they could really help out if they could just contribute every so often. Yeah, you're not asking for a ton of production, but one goal a game would be absolutely massive in picking up the slack and a lack of a Landeskog and a lack of a Rantanen. Right, and well, and that's how do you get to three? Yep. Every single exactly. night. That's the formula that you're trying to find is how do you get to three? You get McKinnon one. Yeah. McKinnon one, defense one, one, and then the bottom nine one. That's if that's yeah. how you get to three, then great. Then you need one hundred percent. You need Philip Grubauer to show up. This is no this doubt is, about that. This is Philip Grubauer's chance to win the Vesna right here. Carry the yeah. abs while these guys are all hurt, and he will get all the credit in the world. It doesn't take many games that you steal a couple two to one games and all of a sudden Grubauer becomes the very, very real deal. Yep. And wins Jared Bednar or Jack Adams. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's definitely fair. That I'm curious, Bednar has a chance to get back to five hundred as a coach this year. Good for him. And I, I'm not sure if he'll make it now if with these injuries, but I hope he does for his sake. Yeah, <laughs> what did – uh... God, he was so far back. Yeah, because that first year just put him 20 games in the hole, basically. <laughs> I mean, so far back. Yeah, he uh... – my gosh. Yeah, when well, I mean, when you're – you lose 60 games your first year. Yeah, right. I, I think he's f- still about five or so games under 500 today, including all the wins from this season. But yeah, and well, and, and it's funny that we consider a guy 500 while not counting losses that happen in overtime like they're irrelevant. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, I mean, a point is a point. That's how 500 works. Right. And it's it's just kind of awkward, but it's like. <clears throat> I just think that's weird that we consider a guy 500. You know, last year the, he was 
over 500, but the Avs won 38 games and lost 44. Right, but 12 of them were in overtime. Yeah, but 14 so. OTLs makes him look like 38 and 30, baby. What's up? <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's weird that it works that way, it, honestly. It is a little weird. That's true. Um, all right, final question. I know you never put a ton of stock into stuff like this, but who gets the A in Landis Gog's absence, the the extra alternate captain's letter? Um, I'm glad we talked about this, actually, because a bunch of people asked, and I, which I thought was interesting. Like, this is what you guys are thinking about. Um, my, my, I would give it to Matt Calvert. Yeah. No. Easy money. Yeah. Calvert, Calvert or Cole was my guess. One of those two guys. I'll stick with my dark horse pick in Kadri. I think he, wore, he wore one in preseason. So did Calvert as well. So also very reasonable pick. I believe Calvert did it last year too when Landy was hurt. Um, so that one would not surprise me at all. But definitely that type of player falls into to Bednar's style of alternate captain, I would say. Definitely. Okay. Well. I guess that's it for this one. It's going to be a real interesting lineup tomorrow night against Florida. Not really sure what to expect, to be honest, other than hoping that Nathan McKinnon becomes Superman, as AJ put it. So I don't have any idea what's going to happen over the next three weeks. It's going to get adventurous real, real quick. Just beat Dallas and it's fine. (laughs) There you go. End the show with Just Beat Dallas. That's exactly the sentiment I'll have as well. Thank you for listening. As always, you will surely hear from us tomorrow. It's a very late game, so I assume we'll do a pregame pod, but we'll figure it out one way or another, and you will hear from us then. If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helpful helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials.